please open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And our text is really going to focus on five verses, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin actually back in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in, in last week's message. And let me read those first verses. It's 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 and 16, but in case I'm delayed, Paul, if you remember, was giving instructions to Timothy. And he knew that he wasn't in control of his life. And I don't think anyone's here in control of their life. They may think they are. And Paul would recognize, you know, something's going to come up. If, in case I'm delayed, this is what you need to know. And he says, I write so that you'll know how you're to ought, act or conduct yourself, depending on the translation, in the household of God. And that household of God is the church of the living room. It's the pillar and the support of truth. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. So this last verse was the truth. I want you to understand. The truth. And notice right there, in, again, in verse 15, the end of it says, in the pillar and support of truth. And it is simply saying, look, like this, like these pillars holding up this roof of truth, this is what we hold up. And if we do not hold up the truth in this generation, the next generation is going to be so much further from the truth. When Paul taught, it was just like Jesus, they, they taught so often from the surroundings, the things that were familiar to the people. And it's powerful the way he teaches because the first thing is they would think of this. This is in Corinth, I know, but they would have one much like this and, again, would be in Turkey. Turkey, a huge country. We'll talk about that next week, but this is the temple of Artemis and Diana. And that was the fertility God. And they had them all the way around the world. Now, when we come again next week to Turkey, just another glimpse, I'm going to show you the original Mother God. Yeah, because Mother God ended up in all these other countries around the world at this time. Many believe it was at that point that when they recognized the cults had their Mother God, and they said, well... We want our own mother God. Oh, it's Mary. So we're going to see a lot of these things coming together, and what we're looking at is, is apostasy. And you are in a time of apostasy. You are in a time of falling away. That's not saying that you are apostate. Only your walk will determine whether you're a true apostate or not. Again, that doesn't mean that we're to be sin, sniffing, fault, finding, going around, looking, and, you know, I don't know if that one's saved. What's important is to make sure that you're saved. Make sure that you're the light and salt into the earth and around us. Now, these are one of the marks of the, of the last days, the increase in false teachers, false prophets. They exalt themselves. They appear to embrace a part of the gospel, but oftentimes they turn away. And when I say we're in a time of apostasy, they're what we call orthodox values. Some of those were from the last chapter we saw, orthodox values. They were accepted values of the early apostles. 
again, documented in, in different church times. These, this is the truth. This is what we're to hold up. There are people in churches that, that at one time said they agree with these things. They hold on to these things, but they're now drifting. As we looked at that difficult passage that men are to be the leaders in the church, not that they're better. The woman has a special, unique role that she plays, but there are those that are exalting and putting women into positions of leadership. How can they be in leadership if no man is to be over them or any woman to be over them in authority? So the church is now beginning to drift from these values. They're turning away from Israel, where the Bible makes it very clear. God's not done with them yet. And we'll see more of that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30, you'll see it on the screen there. And notice what it says. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will rise, speaking perverse things and draw away disciples after themselves. This church and every church that is teaching the word of God has this happen in their church where they draw people after man. I'll stop and think when I go back to the term Mother God. Say they wanted to be like the other nations or the other religions. And the Greek thought is that they always would exalt man. It's not about man, it's about God and what God has done for man. So these, these teachers are formulating, putting these things in the church and they're drifting away. It doesn't matter what denomination it is whether it be a Calvary Chapel or a Baptist or, uh, you know, any Pentecostal or Presbyterian, you find these apostates. They're the wheat and tares, as Scripture talks about, growing side by side. But what happens again in that verse, I know that after my departure, this is after Paul's departure, savage wolves will come in. He's explaining again, really, their heart is to draw people after themselves, to devour them, to destroy them to take them away from the truth. And this is where, again, we, the body of Christ, universal, no matter what the name is on the building, we need to be these pillars, the support of truth and not compromise. Now, we all understand compromise, and we've all probably made compromises in, in our life. Would you agree with that in certain things? But we never compromise the truth. Because every time a person compromises the truth, it becomes easier and easier and easier to live the lie. And that's very important. And that's what happens to these false teachers. Well, let's read our text together. It's 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. And notice doctrine of demons by the means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be grateful and shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For, an ever, for everything created by God is good and nothing to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by the means of word of God and prayer. Now, as we start this chapter here, it's important to understand in, in verse 1, you see that word, but. But it's, it contrasts that last chapter. Remember, I read those last verses. When those that know the truth, 
And when you know the truth, the truth is what will set you free. That's important to understand. These that are the pillars in support of this truth. Okay, he starts with that and he contrasts it, but the Spirit explicitly says in a lot of times, some will fall away from the faith. That's their beliefs, that those orthodox values is important. Again, the, the confession of the redemption truth that we saw. They will renounce orthodox values. You've seen it in the Methodist church. You've seen it in the Presbyterian church, in the news, the division that is coming within them. There are those that want to stand and be the support and pillar of the truth. But the numbers are growing. That is the liberalism. That is those that are in apostasy. And those who choose to stay in a place where they're being taught something that is false, they're compromising the truth. And as they hear the teaching that's inconsistent with the Word of God, or they springboard out of the Word and they start teaching, they're being deprogrammed and reprogrammed with a lie. That's what it's teaching, a lie. And it's very important that we hold to, to the truth. Now, there are different preferences, worship styles, and dress, and all those things. And those are not moral issues. Those aren't things that the Bible really expresses, and even the type of government that a church might have. The one thing that you saw when we went through chapter 3 is the most important thing, being whether it be an elder or being a deacon, and we saw that there can be deaconesses, is the character. The godly leadership should be men and women of character, depending on that position they're in. The stand in the truth and hold up this truth that the world can see. Notice again in verse 1, it says, but the Spirit explicitly says, notice it doesn't say Holy Spirit, but everything points to the fact that he's talking about the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left this world, if you remember, he says, it's necessary that I go, but I will leave you another. And he goes on to describe the comforter, and that that. Another is, is another of the same kind. It's the third person of the Godhead. So the Greek lacks the, the words holy, but the context has been dictating who this is. In fact, in Second Peter one twenty one, notice what it says. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It's the Holy Spirit that puts the words in your mind and in your mouth in your heart. Now he's going to talk about the writing of the Word of God. The, the, again, God, working through the Holy Spirit, works in the person of God, directing the very thoughts and the very words. Have you ever been sharing with somebody the, the Bible, the truth, and all of a sudden things are just popping in your mind, words in your mouth? And what is it you need to hear today more than anything else? God. But that's the problem with all of us, whether it be a pastor or, or just another person. We're always in there. Until the day he takes us out, we sometimes get in the way of God and we need to pray, Lord, help me learn to get out of the way. Let the people hear you and see you and know you that I just kind of fade in to the background. Well, it's the Holy Spirit speaking here. 
And again, that's important to understand. Acts 27, 15 says this, And when a ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way and let ourselves to be driven along. Now, this is when Paul was in the storm, if you remember. He's talking about the wind, and we know the Holy Spirit. It it speaks of a wind using, again, this symbolism. And what does he say again? They were caught, caught in the, the wind, the storm. They're being driven along. This is how the Word of God is written. That the man of God is, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and directs his very thoughts, directs the very words. It's the same word used here by a ship, being caught by a storm, being caught by the wind. And the Holy Spirit directs our lives. And we think that we're in control. Even when a person is an unbeliever, they're blinded by the God of this world. They're caught in the snare of the devil that we see so often. You're either in bondage to this world, to the God of this world, or you've given your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're a bondservant of him, and you're wanting to be led by him. So just in the same manner that a ship is, is driven and directed and carried along by the wind, these writers were guided by God to write the very original words, and we can go back to that, and that language that was written at that time became a dead language very, very quickly, and it's important to understand because that language never changes. And we can understand that original meaning. Now, it's these authors that he's talking about that produced the very Bible that we have. The 66 books. There are many that people try and add in but they never declare to be the Word of God, inspired even by the Word of God. But people want to add to it. They want more things as if God's Word is not enough. And let me ask you that question. Is God enough? Is His Word enough? Is it sufficient for all your needs? That's what we're going to see time and time again. So again, the, the Holy Spirit works in that person. He works communicating to him the very words that he wants to say. So when the Bible ever says that God said or Paul said or John said, these are the very words of God, God speaking to you, to me. Now, especially when you study the Bible, uh, there are many translations, but especially when you're reading the Bible and you're studying it, You should study either in the King James or the New American Standard. ESV doesn't follow far behind, but you know who it's speaking to. It's written in such a way that it says, um, God said, or thee, or them. And some of the loose translations get so far away, you don't know who it is. A lady was telling me recently, she says, I need a red-letter Bible to know what Jesus is saying. But if you read a word-for-word translation, you'll know what the Word of God is saying. You will not understand everything, but you will grow in that love and grace of Jesus Christ. Now, see, it's this Holy Spirit in the writing, the way it was written, written through ordinary common men with different personalities. Now we get this Word of God. And He's the one that authenticates it. And when Paul speaks... Or again, it says God speaks or the Lord speaks. It is God speaking. And that's what we need to hear. Look with me in 2 Timothy 3.16 on the screen. It says all scriptures inspired by God is profitable for teaching, 
for reproof and for training of righteousness. This is God speaking. He says, all Scripture. When this was written and recorded, it was primarily all they had was the Old Testament, but it would include everything the Apostle Paul would write in John and James, and it would be recorded. See, this book is divine, and yet at the same time it's human. But it's God, the divine, working in the human person, recording. And this is what, this is what orthodoxy is, is the Word of God. It's not what a denomination teaches. It's what does the Word of God say? What is the author's intent in writing? This verse that Paul writes, it, it, it's proving, the, again, the, the Word of God is inspired. You can trust it. You can rest in it. And when you're sharing with people, especially if you have a Bible, your phone, or whatever, and you should be pointing out, this is what God says. This is what Paul says. This is God's Word. Not your opinion. The world doesn't need to hear your opinion. Now, sometimes you may take a, a group of things and say, and we make a conjecture and their, their preferences, but when God speaks, we need to listen. And you'll either choose to obey or you'll choose to reject. And honestly, there's only two choices. You can't sit on the fence. You'll either do it or you won't do it. There's two important things in this statement. First of all, the, again, all Scripture, and this is important to understand, again, in the entire Bible is inspired, and it's profitable. Even when you don't understand it, it is profitable. Because as you continue to read, or you're maybe one that listens, audio, and, and I do both, it will begin to wash your mind. It's what the Scripture talks about, washing the water of the Word. That's what a husband is to do with his wife, to wash her with the water of the Word. It cleanses your mind, your thought process. Again, it's the entire Bible is God-breathed because of the ideas. He breathed life into man. He's breathed through the Holy Spirit these very words of life. Notice again in that same verse, the Spirit also spoken explicitly, meaning in specific terms, plain words, distinctively. And when we read the Bible, we need to read it in a literal sense, in its common, ordinary sense. And if we do it that way, don't seek any other sense unless there's something in there to show there's a symbolism in it. That's where people get off in tangents and they try to explain things away and it defies what the Bible is. If you just read it like a child, you have to come like a child and sit there. Take it in its common, ordinary sense. But it was the false teachers of that time and even today they take it and say, it, this really doesn't mean this. Let me tell you what it really means. A church I know, he came to John, uh, John 3.16. Think about it for a second. You know that verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. And he began to teach and say, let me tell you what this really means. The word world doesn't mean world. It means elect. And that is not what the Bible teaches. It did not put that word in there. So they changed the meaning. 
that didn't mean anything to the people at that time. They just changed their thought to prove their own doctrine. This is what's happening in the church. It's common today. Well, again, it also predicts, again, or gives us the prediction of apostasy, the, the falling away, and it, which should not surprise us at all. Yet many in the church do not believe that there's going to be apostasy. But it shouldn't surprise us because Jesus spoke of it. Again, in Matthew 24, look at verses 4 and 5 and then 11. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. This is, again, in Matthew, talks about in this passage, again, those end times. If you go back and understand three questions were asked and understand what those questions are, the context, he's talking about something this future tense, but they have to redate this in order to make it into their doctrine that they want to do. They're changing it. Well, again, Paul writing to Timothy describes the days to be difficult. And he writes again in verse 1, it's chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, bruder, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But notice again in verse 25, it says, or verse 5, holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power. Avoid such men as these. I'm tired of this list. I'm ready to take a nap after reading that. Because this is what the world is like. Doesn't it wear you out? Doesn't tire you? You see this selfishness, self-centeredness, the lying, the deceit. And these things, if you're the one that's watching TV or going to the movie, oftentimes these are the things that are exalted in the movies today. Again, the Apostle John writes in 2 John 1, beginning in verse 7, notice what it says. For many deceivers have gone out in the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what you have accomplished, but that you will receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now, this is important to understand. He says many deceivers have gone out in the world, even at the time of Christ. This is probably written, most scholars believe, in the area of about 85 A.D. The deceivers were there. But if you go to the early 1800s, I was talking about earlier with somebody this morning, the, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Church of Christ, some of the teaching in the 1800s veered off from those that split that was coming in liberalism, just as God was revitalizing the church. They started going back to the Word of God and getting into the Word of God. The enemy was moving and moving away. Whenever God is moving, the enemy is moving equally as well. The warning has been there, and this brings, brings us to a really an idea of test. In, in 
again, 1 John, in, in 1 John chapter 4, we're, we're told to test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit, but test them and see if they're of God. And while it gives example of who Jesus Christ is, it's not the only way to test the spirits. And yet I know, as many have talked to other people, they don't want to know the truth. But we're to test them. There was a friend of mine that said in a church, moved to a city, and, and it, for nine months they were there, and it seemed, everything seemed to be right. And then all of a sudden one day he realized this guy had made a left turn, but he had been making a left turn a little bit at a time, getting so far away and denied the virgin birth. Literally, literally that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the second person in the Godhead. These things are common in this time. And you probably have warned your friends of these things and these teachings. You can't turn on TV or even radio and, and flip to channel and, after channel and find some kind of heretic on there. People have come to me, oh, I love this teacher. And the person is heretical. The person's a false teacher. Now, it's not something they're teaching from the pulpit every day, but they're teaching and it's woven through. Preparing you to apostatize, to fall away, because that's where we get the word apostasy, this idea of falling away. Notice again the chronology of the apostasy, of the words, the latter times. It, it speaks of that time between Christ's first coming and that second coming. And I'm so thankful that he's coming again. And I'm so thankful when I was 42 years old, 43 years old, that he hadn't come because it was when I was 43 years old that I became a believer and I was born again. He's patient, long-suffering, and wishing none were perish. And I came out of a cult-like church. And I had been tainted. It was this summer, the volcano, and we were going down and praying down in Pahoa, meeting, just being there for the people this one guy walked by, and we had a, a sign up there, need prayer. And as a guy walked by two or three times, finally he come over, he began to sit down and began to talk with me, finally got what it was all about. And as we sat down, we talked the Bible. I opened the Bible and showed him, and then he got up angry and mad at me. He says, I'm going to be the next cult. I'm going back to California. I have 40 acres, and I'm going to have my own cult. And he was serious because he had already been trying to establish his cult in Pahoa. They're there. They're everywhere. We should not be surprised. We're warned by Jesus, by, by John, and, and time and time again. And Jude, who is, he was writing again in Jude 3, earnestly contending for the faith was once and for all given to the saints. He wanted to write about the common salvation, the joy of salvation. And man, they're false teachers, false prophets, and he had to stop and warn them. And yet the body of Christ so often is, is naive. Peter wrote again in 2 Peter 2.1 about these false teachers who had infiltrated the church. Jude declared that they'd already arrived. He's possibly reading or hearing what, again, Peter wrote. He says, no, they're here. They're here today. And they've come and gone back and forth. Sometimes the, the cults have been here, and then they kind of get quiet, and all of a sudden, again, they start moving and strongly preying upon 
those who profess to be believers that do not know the Word of God. Pray, P-R-E-Y, because they want to take them out. Now, the, the plural in time speaks of this church age. What are you in? You're in this church age. It's a dispensation of grace. God has set Israel aside, yet he has a remnant he's been bringing out and, and bringing into the body of Christ. But there's going to be a time when God begins to deal with Israel. And so there, there's a church age, a time that we are to be the light. We are to be the salt in the community. We are, again, to be this pillar truth. Hold up this truth in this, this generation. It's essential. If we want to see our family and our grandkids no longer compromise, that doesn't mean arrogance. That doesn't mean being nasty, but it first must be seen in our life. And when people see there's something different in how we live, then we get permission to speak the truth in love. Look in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven. It says, "For the mystery of lawlessness already work. Only he, who, only he who now restrains will do so until taken out of the way." We talked about that. This is the Holy Spirit indwelling the church, and the church is going to be taken out, raptured. We've talked about that. We talked at different timings. There, it's possible that people argue about, it, but when the Holy Spirit is taken out of this world, the church goes out. This world is going to become very dark. This world is going to be continually get darker and more evil. The moral people that you see in this world have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That you thought they were moral, you're going to see them change if we could see from heaven down. The reason they haven't received Jesus Christ, the scripture makes it very clear. Please understand, they like darkness more than light. Uses the word hypocrisy for them. They put on this picture, but I know them. But they have not chosen Christ. They've rejected the truth that will set them free. First John chapter 2, verse 18, 19. Notice, children, it is the last hour, just as you've heard. The Antichrist is coming even now. Many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Not an individual hour, but a period of time. This is, again, in this, this church age. And we're seeing the, the increase in false teachers and false prophets, uh, false apostles, Raising up one another. The church of Ephesus. And we'll see pictures of that next week. And, but what's interesting is they could recognize that, that doctrine, that wrong doctrine. They could recognize the false teachers, the false prophets, false apostles. But they left their first love. There's a compromise there. Because what does Jesus want from you and me? Our hearts. Our hearts. So there's this, this warning it goes on in verse 19, and they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown they were not of us. There are many pastors, assistant pastors, people on staff, elders, have walked in the Lord for year after year, and all of a sudden they just take off and they start a group, a cult. The Christ that they have is a different Christ. It's an antichrist in place of Christ. It's idolatry. You don't need to be a Jew. Read the book of Galatians. My goodness. 
But people are flocking to that. And that's why in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Look again in verse 1 there. It says, Some will fall away from the faith. Now, fall away, you could underline that, even put the word apostasy, it works. It's a falling away from orthodox values is what it's saying. They once believed it. There's an illustration of a, a man that was in the hospital and pastor come to see him and he said, would you like me to read the Bible? And he says, yeah, that would be nice. And, and he hands him the Bible and, and all the pages are gone. It's a big thick Bible, you know, one of the big ones and much like this one here. But all the pages are cut out. The pastor looks at, what happened to all the pages? He says, well, you kept saying, every time you said, well, this is not really a part of the Bible, this is not true, he started cutting it out and there wasn't much left. That's a compromise, that's apostasy. That pastor was leading him into apostasy. He assumed the only part of I could read is the part that you said was okay. The whole counsel of God's word is what you and I need. We don't pick and choose. You know, choose and jump around here and there. We need to know the whole Bible. Again, it's, this, it's not hard to figure out when you look at the rise in cults. I don't name churches too often. I'll, I'll name one, and I, can, I feel sufficient to say that. The Church of Christ, for the most part, is a cult. How can I say that? I used to go to the church, first of all, when I was young, some are cult-like, unless you're baptized in their church, not in the ocean, not in a, if you have a place to baptize, if that won't work, you've got to be baptized in their church and believe identically, exactly everything they do. The reason I am saying this is a springboard, because in a couple weeks, after service, the end of service, I'm going to take 10 minutes and I'm going to do, really give glory to God and dignity to a woman that I ministered to at Life Care for two years. She came out of that church of Christ. She didn't know she could ever, ever go to heaven. She didn't know the comfort, the peace of God, the peace that passeth all understanding. It took a year and a half of just going through the Word, just reading the Bible to deprogram her from what she was taught to realize that God had set his love upon her and she was kept by the power of God. She wanted to do for a long time assisted suicide, take her own life. In the end, before she passed away, she says, I just want to go be with Jesus. She was in chronic pain, unbearable. But she knew she was going to be with Jesus. She knew the word of God. She knew what God said. Cults twist it. They change it to make it say what they want. Again, some will fall away from the faith it, it talks about in that verse. It's interesting because in this epistle, it, it's kind of a, a small amount. It, it's, a, it's a minority, but time we get to Second Timothy... The numbers change. It's not a few. It's a large number. And it's scary. 
And we see that already in our country, beginning here and there. While we're isolated from some of the things that are happening, some places, it doesn't mean it's not happening. And all it takes is one person to come here and start up another cult. The fact is they depart from the truth, these teachers and the people depart from the truth. Now it's sad when a when a person's been in church 30, 40 years, they have a hard time getting around. There's somebody that will go and pick them up or a, a bus of some kind to pick them up, but they're in a church and they're in there because they've always went there and then the pastors begin changing and all their friends are there and they don't want to leave and, and, and sometimes they just stay there and they begin tainted and, and one day they find that they've drawn so far away from really the, the truth. They talk about Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. They begin to deny the faith that was once and for all given to the saints that Jude talked about. They begin to put other books above the, the very word of God. Now, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir in that sense. I know you love the word of God. But you've got to understand this in order to explain to your family, to your friends. We are, again, remember this we're the pillars to hold up this truth. Those that are in cults, you have to work at it. And it always involves works. There's two works that I find in the Bible that you and I are supposed to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, believe in him. There's good works. I understand that. But work at resting in Jesus Christ. He saved you. He will save you. In the end, you'll be saved from the wrath that's coming on this unbelieving world. You cannot earn your way to heaven. And, and that's what cults do. They often it has to do with works salvation. Now, when we talk about this apostasy in the Bible, sometimes I talk about it in the sense of spiritual, again, idolatry or adultery. Book of Hosea is a classic on that. And it's that type of thing that provokes God to be an angry God. He's a jealous God, but jealous for you. You are his, if you're a true believer, kept by him until that day. But these are drawn away are people who profess to believe, but they're drawn away because they really never believe. They, they know in their mind what the truth is, and we'll see an example of that in a second, but they respond differently. Again, look with me in Luke 8. Verses 13 and 14 is a, a perfect example of this. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And they have no firm root. They, they believe for a while. In time of temptation, they fall away. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a second. Notice that they hear the word of God. Maybe you've had a friend that has maybe said a sinner's prayer. They, they believe for a while, but when things become too difficult, they fall away. They, they leave that truth. It sounds exciting. They're apostate. They, they, they profess. It could be in a church. It could be a pastor. It could be an elder. It could be a deacon. It could be just somebody sitting there, grandpa. But they turn away from the truth when times get tough. We've had people be in the church and say, you know what, you're going through a difficult time. You need to take a break from God. What? You need to take a break from God? No, that's when you need to be in the word more and in his presence. But these are words, oh yeah, 
yeah, I, I'm tired of going, I just won't go to church. And once a person doesn't go to church for a while, it's hard to get them to come back to church because the enemy's going to continue to attack them. Another thing that happens in the church in verse 14 again, and the seed which fell upon the thorns, this is the ones who had heard and as they go their way, it's choked out with the worries and riches and pleasures of the world and bring no fruit to maturity. So they're, they're never saved either. The word, the seed is the word of God. It falls upon a heart that's prepared or not prepared. Sometimes they receive it, they hear it, but they fall away and they never come back. If they're backsliders, certainly the Lord will discipline them and bring them back. But for the most case, they're apostate. And that's such a negative word. We don't want to say it, but that's the truth. That's why we need to give them the word of God. So quickly to get them to a sinner's prayer, but we've never brought them to Jesus Christ. We need to bring them to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. See, the heart that's unbelieving is an evil heart and that's the one that falls away. That's the one that apostatizes. The one who never comes into this loving relationship with Jesus Christ. When you're reading this Bible, it's not just about how much you know, how much you can remember, but do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know if your family who are believers, they would die, that you would see them again? No matter what you're facing, you know that he's still on the throne. He's in control of the outcome of your life. And all you need to do is submit and say, Lord, here I am. And know that he uses all things for the good. Again, look at verse 1 again. The, the source of the, the paucity, it begins with paying attention to these deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons. Oh, that's not to get your attention, Mike, but you know the thing is? There are people that knock on your door. They have a different doctrine, a different Jesus. And I encourage you not even to pay attention to them. Because they have one agenda that's to draw you away. Because they want you to believe what they believe. They're blinded and they're leading others away. If you ask them the question, well, if I listen to you and then would you listen to me and I'll share the gospel and if I show you Jesus Christ, is the second person that God had in God in the flesh will you believe? And they say, no, it's the end of the conversation. Or you say, well, no, I don't believe. I'm, I'm, I'm a believer, but can I pray for you? They usually take off and run. Why? Because they know that if you're a Christian, you believe in another God than them. Now, what he's warning here in this passage is paying attention to these de deceitful spirits. Deceitful. And their doctrines of demons or doctrines of devils. Don't even listen to it. Again, in John, it talks about it. Don't even let them come into your house. And I believe in the context of that passage, it's talking about into a house church, a home Bible study in that sense. Don't let them come. Because really, you're showing approval of them. You're, you're allowing them to come in and talk to your family, to your friends, to your kids. 
But yes, so many people think they're the Messiah and they're going to try and save them. You can't save them. Notice these, again, this apostasy is, is again generated by demonic beings. Not meaning a person's demon-possessed, but just as God puts the words in your mind. The devil can put things in your mind. You ever wake up and have a dream or see thoughts or bring things to memory that you don't want to remember, you want to get rid of? Oh, he's very good. And by the way, you are a horrible Christian. How could God ever love you? That comes from the devil. He has powers too. He's limited. And God allows these things to, to test you. Not that he doesn't know how you would act, but that you would know. You would recognize, I'm drifting. I'm falling away. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces in darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. See, demons are called deceitful because they cause men to wander away from the truth. I've warned so many, and I'm sure you have done the same thing, that they continue to listen to a false teacher, and they little by little begin to drift further and further away. But when the Holy Spirit's in your life, when you've really been born again, He leads you into the saving truth. What a contrast. What a a difference the Scripture is. Just as there's a Holy Spirit, there's unholy spirits. And that's what it's talking about, these, these doctrine of demons, what they teach. And what are these doctrine of demons? Well, they self-glorify men. They exalt men. It's lying, sensuality, immorality that you find within. And humanism, where it just simply exalts man. I can be like God. Don't even give them the time of day. Don't listen to them. And yet there are so many people naive that fall into this rut and get drawn away. Look with me in verse 2. We see by the means of hypocrisy of liars seared their own conscience with what is a branding iron. It's interesting. Again, the the means is, is hypocrisy. Therefore, it shouldn't be surprising again in 2 Corinthians 11.15 Therefore, it should not be surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will become according to their deeds, will end according to their deeds. While the source is supernatural, the agents are natural. They're just human beings. The demon oppresses from the outside. The demon directs you. You'll either be listening to the Lord or you'll be listening to a devil. Kind of like the little cartoon. You have the two characters on your, your shoulder. You're either listening to one or you're listening to the other. The hypocrisy would, would suggest wearing a mask. As if they knew what they were doing. Certainly when you look at the death of Jesus, many of those religious leaders knew that he claimed to be the Son of God. He was the Son of God. The miracles he did where only miracles could do. They were messianic miracles, as Isaiah 35 would talk about, but they rejected that truth. And that's what happens. Apostasy is rejecting that truth. Well, these hide their true identity. They'll begin to tell you your Bible is, is a lie. You have to read our Bible. Yet when you talk to a Greek scholar who is an unbeliever, he'll tell you that 
the book that they read, if ours is the Jehovah Witness, is a lie. It's not true. It doesn't line up with the, the true Greek. And they can't contradict the Bible because they know it's true. They just choose not to believe. Well, they're hypocrites. And the scripture goes on. God says they're liars. They're telling a lie, and people buy the lie. Anyone bought the lie ever before of the world? Come on, do not lie. The reason my wife and I got divorced way back, and we're remarried, you know, is because we bought the lie of the world. It's better to be divorced than work through it. But when you know the truth has set you free, you recognize that lie, that truth. If you have not seared your own conscience, because that's what they did, is they seared their own conscience. The word for sear could be cauterized. Just as a person would have a bloody nose, they go in and they burn it, and the skin becomes dry and hardened. And that's what these people, in a, in a spiritual sense, they become dry and hardened to the, the real truth of God's word. They began with a choosing to willfully reject the truth because they just hurt somebody. They weren't Bereans. They didn't test it to see if it was so. So they use the term branded. The skin becomes hard, calloused. Well, look with me in verse 3. We see men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. In this case, the deceivers were focusing on two seemingly minor teachings. Now, some will say these are Jewish teachings. They were Judaizers, and, and there's probably a group in there that's probably true. But they were just general cults. And again, notice they were works. They forbidden marriage in itself. And sadly, when you stop and think about it, marriage, going all the way back to chapter 2 in Genesis, God said it's not good for man to be alone. And he created woman from the rib of a man. He made woman that they become not just one in flesh, but one in spirit. See, God ordained marriage. God invented sex. And this is important to understand. And it was good when he created everything. It was not just good, excuse me. It was very good, in fact. Within the boundaries, what God had set up. It's interesting as you begin to look at old church history, and some people, I, I want to be like that early church, and I, I keep pointing that out. The only day you can say, I want to be like that early church is the day of Pentecost. When they continued in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of the bread and the fellowship and prayer. Because you just keep seeing man drift and drift and drift. And that's probably true of you and me, have drifted, unless we stay in this Word of God, because it's the Word of God that will turn you around. Well, let me talk about this just for a second, and, and really where some of them had drifted and what happened. See, it was even in Christ's day, they had all these cults, these false teachers. It, it, it's not new today. But listen again, when we come to the early church, and the early church fathers, Tertullian and Ambrose, believed that the extinction of human race was to be Preferred to a sexual relationship in marriage. Man, there's grounds for reformation right there. But they actually believe that. And people look and they worship these men. Augustine argued that sexual re relationship was, was innocent in marriage, but it's the passion that accompanies it is sinful. He frequently counseled married couples to abstain from it. 
This was the teaching of the early church. Albertus and Aquinas objected to the marital intimacy because it subordinates the reason for passions. The church leaders continued to, to drift further and further away, and it was so sad that they drifted in such a way that they were banding marriage and said it's better to be a virgin and never get married, but that's not what it teaches in 1 Corinthians. Do you see what they were doing? They were leaving the very word of God. They were rejecting what God said was very good for their own truths, their own ideas that they thought were, were so good and so important to understand. The church fathers were virtually unanimous in this idea or virginity is superior to marriage. This culminated in the Council of Trent in the 16th century, which denounced those who denied the virginity was superior to the married state. Yet the Roman church kept adding days in which the marital intimacy was prohibited until more than half the days of the year were excluded. You see, the church is drifting. It's been drifting all that time. Pastors are drifting. Denominations are drifting. That's why it's so important you get into the Word of God yourself and read that Word of God and know what it says. Seriously, the, the change did not come from the Reformation and its return to the Bible. The focus was, was what it was taught. The great heroes here are the Puritans. Yes, Puritans, as they took the Roman church in a straight-on debate. And they taught from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4. And yet there were still those who rejected that faith what about you do you reject what god has said see this is the common thing that's happening and it goes on well look at verses four and five we see the error and it, really in the, the apostasy take the marriage it's god ordained as i mentioned procreation of of creation again it's in the book of genesis the marriage idea becomes even an image to the church that the husbands are to, to love their wives that Christ loves the church. And yet, it's rejected and yet this is what the false teachers were saying. And if you don't do it our way, not the way of the word, this is what cults tell you. Notice it's also abstaining from food. God created the food which the false teachers were forbidding there were certain dietary, and they weren't all Jewish, it goes back to, but they're just saying you cannot eat that. If a person wants to be vegan or he wants to be whatever, a vegetarian, that's fine. But don't make excuses for God's word. But if we receive it with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, that's, you can eat anything. In Israel, even today, if you go to Israel, and, and you're not supposed to have pork there. You're not to be able to, to grow it and raise it. So what do they do? They lay a slab of concrete, and the pigs are raised on concrete, so they're not really on the land. They're on the concrete. People find their ways around the rules, and see, these are drifting. These are compromises. People ask me, well, can I do this? Well, how much can I do? How close to the line do you want to get? That's dangerous because I don't know your heart. It's a heart issue. If God says, this is not good for you, understand why he said it. When you understand, again, the Jewish dietary reasons, it was for health. And it was to separate them. But he declares today, Peter even had to learn that lesson. Have it sanctified 
and given in gratitude, thanks to God, it's okay to eat it. And if you don't want to eat it, it's okay, but don't be legalistic. To reject the food is to reject God's creative work because he created it to, meant to be eaten. And some people need meat in there for different reasons in their, their habit. Mark 7, 15 says that. There is nothing outside the man that can defile him if he goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the mouth of a man is what defiles him. See, it's the heart. 